1176 Sports and Culture Podcast, bringing you the latest buzz and updates from our beloved Prairie View A&M University, featuring your fellow PV Panthers, Roland Austin, Jay Cleasy, Big Mike Washington, three-time swag champ Gati Rima, former drum major and HBCU band historian Shanetta Haskell, and Al Williams driving the show from the hill. Please subscribe and give us five stars and follow us on social media at Panthers underscore 1876. And welcome to the 1876 Sports and Culture Podcast. Here we are mid-April. What's going on, bro? Man, mid-April, and we had, what, three or four HBCU football games on TV? Man, yesterday I was in heaven. (laughs) That was crazy. All day, I don't think my family saw me. That was great. That was cool (laughs) to see on multiple channels, multiple, of course, uh, UAPB got to do better. With your with your streaming because that sucked. Yeah, nah, that, that was terrible. But yeah. they did have yeah. a streaming on uh, Sirius XM, so I had my Sirius XM going, and then I had to buy you classic up with no sound on. My wife was like, "You got OCD, no. <laughs> ADHD, something." <laughs> then later, and we'll talk about these later. But then you had the Magic City Classic going on. Mm-hmm. So it was a great. It was day, good but... HBCU football day yesterday. Yeah. Great yeah, day. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Well, man, you know, we were we were we were just on the yard this time last week, and after we uh, wrapped up the show, uh, we went outside and to chop it up a little bit. And, and Freddie Roberts came, brother Freddie Roberts came, and uh, and was just dropping knowledge on us, man. We, what? we were just yeah. I, I know everybody last week was probably like. Those dudes were just all over the place. It's because yes. we were all over the place. We had just left watching Al's two sons, Joe and Jake, cross the sands and into the house of Alpha, Phi Alpha. So we were uh, outside excited, talking, and we look up and Freddie Roberts, who had just partaken in the activities, walking down the street, heading home. And if anyone knows Freddie Roberts, y'all know he can talk. And yes. uh, this man, Freddie's been on a yard since what? 75? No, he played in 72. Yes. So, yeah, he's been on in a fact, yard since 70, 71. The house we were in front of was Dr. Dooley's house. And that was where um, Brother Roberts, I think he told me he was there. He stayed there in 71. That's crazy, man. So, so, yeah. So he starts talking. He basically gave us a oral history of Prairie View A&M from the time of Dr. Alvin Thomas up through Percy Pierre's reign. Up, He took us then to, to General Beckton, up to Charles, Dr. Charles Hines. Then he rolled on up to Dr. Jo- Dr. George Wright's reign up until now. And... It was it was insane to watch a man, particularly of his age, remember such every single detail. Every detail. Yeah. Uh, of all those presidents and what they did, why they did what they did, what influenced the decisions they made. Um, he dropped nuggets about uh, the... I guess the rumors about who stole what money or who didn't steal what money, you know, what the truth was behind all those rumors from 30 years ago. It was insane. It made me want to pull out a video camera and just start press record. 
Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. You, you know, there's a there's a biblical saying that, you know, God knows the very hairs on, on, on your head. Freddie Roberts knows the very reasons why Pledges made it, why they didn't make it, going back 35 years. He can recall that is true. Names. That is so true. He knows specific names. Well, what happened back in 83 was... <laughs> He was supposed to do this report. He didn't get it in that time. And that's what happened. I mean, right. he can give you point blank details. So the man is incredible. He remembers more about my process than I do. Put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you remember that night when you did something like, I don't remember, but I, okay. Crazy. <laughs> and, and if you pledged or didn't pledge, if you were in PV, if you went to Prairie and m University, you probably know Freddie personally or you know of him. Yes. He is a, a true walking legend and historian yep. of the university. And, and I'm sure there are people out there that, who who probably don't like, don't care for him because he essentially was a disciplinarian if you were going through the pledge process. But he was always fair. He was yeah. always fair. Unlike the current person who sits in his role right now, he was yeah. always fair. <laughs> <laughs> and what it made me think about was uh, when Dr. Melanie Price was on here a few weeks ago and she was talking, to how, talking about how they were going to start collecting oral history of Prairie View in the surrounding area. And uh, I was like, man. Freddie is one to just sit oh, down yes. and you just hit record and let him go. <laughs> let him go. Yeah. We got to get them two together and just let... And he, right. he knows Dr. Price. He, he mentioned that he, he knows her. So we got to get them together. Uh, but one last thing that he talked we talked about was why, uh, I guess, hurt one, hurt feelings about uh, alumni have, why they don't give back. And one thing he left with us was it wasn't PV that did it to you. It was the people PV hired that did it to you. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was huge. That was huge. Place. That was a huge nugget right there. Yeah. That was deep. Because and it, it is true. On notice. Yeah, yeah, for true. real. Yeah. It is true. And so we have to hold the staff at Prairie View to a higher standard to treat these kids, treat our kids uh, the way they need to be treated, the way they deserve to be treated, and make sure that they're there for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. And, and subsequently, we can't hold the university accountable for the things that those individuals did. And we have to overlook that and still continue to show our support to the university. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that, that's great. But you still have a whole generation of people who went through PV. Number one, they had issues with financial aid getting registered. They weren't winning any games with the football uh, field, so that didn't help. So you have a whole generation that's been, you know, some people say affected or infused with that mentality. So the question is, you know, how do you get past that old generation that have that type of mentality? And I totally agree. It's not for you. It's the people that were in play. So well, uh, know, there's, no, there's no answer. If 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 Purview collectively is a family, right? We all know that family is not perfect. So hey, somebody did something to you, but you still show up to the family reunion, and when when somebody needs you, still show up to help out, and you still be family. So I think that's where you got to leave it. You know, it wasn't perfect. We all know it wasn't perfect, but right. I think if anybody who has had an HBCU experience off, outside of Purview, it's it's kind of across the board. We weren't just an isolated group. 
So we were no different than any than a Tuskegee, Agreed. Alabama State, or anything like that. So you still got to, hey man, suck it up, put your big, put your big clothes on, and man get up, get over it, woman up, right? Get over put, it and keep moving. Put your put your big put your big put your big boy big girl pants on, and that's what I say because those problems are shared with other institutions. I don't think a lot of people know that. You know, the yeah. same issues that we have here are shared with other HBCU institutions. And I don't think that gets talked about as much as it should. Yeah, but I it think doesn't. I think it is a it is really incumbent on us to kind of make sure that we change that. You know, there were probably powerful alumni who could have had an impact on that while we were in school, but they didn't choose to do that. But now that we are in this position, it's incumbent on us to make sure that the kids that are there get treated right. And if there's somebody in place that is not treating these kids right, we need to leverage all the resources that we have and all the uh, collective uh, giving power that we have to to have some say over that because the students are not in a position to fight for themselves. So if they can't, we must. And I'll leave it on one final thing. I was told that equivocally, President Simmons checks her email personally, every single piece of email, and she listens to alumni. So if you have an issue, a serious issue that needs addressing and needs to be changed, email President Simmons and she will look into it. All right. So I want to I want to. Shift to a different topic, something that's been kind of heavy on my mind all week, man. Everything that's going on with from uh, Dante Wright to Captain uh, Lieutenant Nazario to this Adam Toledo in Chicago. It's just, man, it, it's too much. It's too much. Where do you even begin to unpack that? <laughs> like, um, I mean, the way I look at it, oh, I thought it was my taser. I thought it was my apartment. I thought it was a gun. I thought he didn't have tags on his car. Their thinking is is terrorism for us. I need them to stop thinking. Because every time they think something, we end up dead. Yeah. I, yeah. had to, I, I could not watch the uh, last two videos. I, I, I was too, I was finding myself in a place where I was last summer. So I, I which was just straight anger and hostility. So I, I could not watch the videos and I didn't even want to talk about it. I haven't, I haven't watched the news in, in like four days. I just can't. I'm getting yeah. triggered. I'm triggered every day. You know, we interrupt this trial of a policeman shooting somebody for this other incident of a policeman shooting somebody and we entered we inter interrupt that one for this other incident of another policeman shooting somebody it's like bruh it, it, it used to be uh, you get a week or two in between now it's like you get 20 hours so so yeah, yeah my feelings are strong but I'd like to hear from from God T or, or Shanetta I mean what do you think because my feelings are like really strong what what emotions come out come out of you yeah for me it's um it's so upsetting, like we're talking about. I mean, it leaves me speechless often. And I just feel like there's no justice for Black people in America. Um, constantly, there's this teasing of if there's going to be justice, all these trials, all these views, but the story is constantly the same. And not only in real life, but also in movies and television shows, you know, you're watching some of them that are based on these real life stories, 
hoping that there'll be a, a better ending and it just ends up being the same, which leaves you as a black person or a person with a heart just devastated and honestly distracted from what's really going on in this country. And I think that, you know, the message is loud and clear from law enforcement and the government to black people in this country, just that you won't have anybody come fighting for you. Because if you, if they do this to other groups and races, their countries are gonna speak up and there may be a war, if there's, if there's the Chinese, they may cut off trade, you just don't know. But to me, it's like always telling black people, like stay in your place, nobody's gonna speak up for you. And for the ones who are, who are not awake or aware of a lot of this that's going on, I'm sure there's a feeling of hopelessness that, and I've even heard people say this, that what's the point of even trying to be great or trying to rise above the positions that you're put in when you're just going to be shot down or, you know, have all these, um, all these forces against you. So yeah, it's, it's really upsetting. And I think that um, like I, I work in a place where I'm the only black woman. So I have these conversations, it's uncomfortable, but it's interesting to hear the other side and how they don't see, oftentimes, they don't see what's wrong with this. So I think it's <clears throat> important to be vocal and let them know the obvious reasons why you have to stand up for those who don't look like you and, and have compassion and, and spread it to the people that you're you're with. But yeah, very upsetting, devastating. And as a as a person um, whose parents are foreign and listening to their views on it, and it's like they they want to leave America. They came here to, for the American dream, but I mean, with all this injustice, they they're like they're better off in their countries. So yeah, that's my take on it. You know, it's sad when, um, you know, I, I used to work in um, in an area where we did a lot of uh, immigration documents for um, our field engineers that traveled everywhere. And it's interesting to look at the um, Secretary of State site, not the Secretary, but, you know, the Global Travel site and see America has a um, a travel advisory <laughs> come here because of all the racial... <laughs> like, Oh, people aren't, they're telling you not to travel to America now, huh? That's the craziest thing. So, yeah. oh boy. I want to share something else that is a meme that I saw earlier. And it, it reads, finding out that George Floyd's girlfriend was Dante's Wright's teacher reminds us that Fred Hampton's mom babysat Emmett Till. It's devastating to grasp the violence and collective trauma of systemic racism across families, communities, and generations and know how little it has changed. Wow. Wow. See, you know, they used to have that movie Six Degrees of Separation, but I think in our community, it's more like two, yeah. maybe three. We, yeah. are, we are all connected within two or three people. And, and you know, they said Captain Nazario called Eric Garner his uncle. Yeah. Up around the block from him. Yeah. Yeah. His wife. Too. And it, it, it reminds you, I'm, I'm sorry, Shanetta, you look like you were getting ready to say something, Shanetta. No, I just think all of this, you know, I remember maybe 25 years ago when I heard Fannie Lou Hamer's classic, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and didn't really know. Right. But I get it. Right. And, and everything that we read. Right. It's 
you know, who is it, James Baldwin, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage all the time, almost all of the time. And so, I mean, I get it. And, and we're having this conversation. But then also when we think about Amber Geiger, she's up for appeal, right? This woman yeah. walked to a- Oh, that's, I thought it was my again. apartment. Mm-hmm. I thought it was my apartment. So I believe it's April 27th. Yeah. Her court date. Yep. And um, it's been what, less than a year? So- yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just I am exhausted. Hamer, basically, at this point. Yeah. yeah, I'm exhausted by it. I mean, like, and then I still have to go to work every day, sitting on these Zoom calls, and I have to be real quick with my mute button because my fuse is so short. I'm telling you, the most <laughs> I, I, I'm done with with trying to educate people on why I should be treated like a human. I'm done having that conversation. I'm done with it. And I'm not tying nothing to the business. I'm not, no, I'm not, no, you can just miss me with that bullshit. That's where I am. (laughs) And I'm not sorry. Go go on, go on. And don't be sorry. (laughs) The most difficult thing that it has been for me is to go to work and have to work with folks who I know have no clue and don't care to find out. Don't understand. And and, yeah. and uh, as you said, Al, some look to be educated, and I'm like, it ain't. It's not my job to teach you. It's simply your job to just be empathetic. It's simply your job to give a damn enough to want to know, and it's your job to not be dumb enough to have pos- potentially grown up, been a kid during segregation, during Jim Crow. And now you're the VP, the president of the company, talking about you didn't know. How the yeah. hell you didn't know? I didn't know. Well, you well we know. We, well, racism ended with Barack Obama, right? <laughs> <What's> <laughs> See, <it>? exactly. <laughs> yeah, post-racial. We are post-racial now. society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, y'all. We could talk about this all night. Let, I want to take a quick break and let's come back and talk some football because uh, we got a lot to talk about from yesterday. Second and five. Tristan Waters. All right, we're back. Let's talk a little football, man. Okay, first, let's hit UAPB in, uh, in Prairie View yesterday. Didn't quite go like we planned. Uh, there were a couple of coaching errors in there that uh, I don't know if it was rust from not having played since Grambling, but uh, there were a couple of questionable situations in that game. Well, we ended up 31-36. It was an exciting game. I wish I could have saw it. Visually, but we all had to listen to it. Uh, penalties killed us. We had 11 penalties for 107 yards. Um, you got to chalk it up to that long layover. I mean, our boys hadn't played in, what, almost a month close to. Uh, yeah. Trazon Conley started the game at quarterback, not TJ Starks. So there's something there with the quarterback position. He threw for what, uh, 410 yards. So he did not have a bad game, 410 yards and three touchdowns, but he also had three interceptions. So that obviously hurt us. Uh, we we rushed for 70 yards. Conley that right was, there. That is the killer. Yeah. Conley was the leading rusher with 67 yards. So the so, game wasn't there. 
<laughs> why why you give scholarships to running backs if you're not gonna give them the ball? Well, Tony Mullins started at running back. He played yeah. running back most, if but, not the entire game. But he had 10 carries. That's it. 10 carries. And he but he, he caught for he, he caught a, a pass 10 10 catches for 114 yards. So they primarily used him as a receiver out of the backfield. So altogether, you had 23 attempts on rushing, two of the uh, split 50% between your running back and your quarterback. That's kind of, you wonder about that game plan. That's my point. You know, 23 rushes, and you got to you gotta say that those 13 or so by the QB, they were improvisation or maybe pass off an option read so you, you know to be successful you have to establish a running game I think we all will agree that so I think you know something there was a flaw somewhere in the game plan that's how we beat Grambling the running game that first half dominating the, the, the time of possession you keep the other team's defense on the field and yours on the bench that is how you win games but you get these offensive shootouts you best believe that uh, your defense is going to get worn down. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, you know, Story Jackson always does his thing, but you you asking a lot. you asking so, a lot. So with that long layover, the defense, we know they got the talent. But, hey, you, you, you have a long layover like that, and you go up against a high-flying offense with a quarterback uh, such as uh, Pine Bluff's QB, you're going to be in trouble, man. So, yeah, Story Jackson did his thing as usual. 13 tackles. Uh, one calls fumble, and he recovered that fumble as well. A uh, friend of the show, Darius Campbell, had three tackles, two pass breakups, and an interception. Uh, yeah. The defense did their thing, but they got tired. They were always on the field because, again, we didn't have didn't a run games. the ball. We didn't run the ball. Now, our time of possession, the time of possession was about even, but the defense just had too long of a layoff, man. They weren't. They were not running at all cylinders. I suspect we'll look way better next week uh, against Jackson State. Well, you know, I'm, they go, everybody you know. gets well against against Jackson State this spring. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. hopefully, we will too. All right, yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about the Bayou Classic. That was strange. Is it something yeah. to talk about? Uh, it, it was just strange, man. Seeing it in Shreveport, it just no band. It was like, don't call it the Bayou Classic. This is just Southern Grambling. That wasn't a Bayou Classic. That's uh, that see the Grambling didn't show up. I don't think you can call it the Bayou Classic. Yeah, Grambling yeah. did not show up. Shreveport ain't that far from from. It's the up the street. Yeah, what forty five minutes. Yeah, I don't think they Yeah, I, I heard one sports recorder that I wasn't the value class. That was a ditch matchup. So. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, 49-7 was the final? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that when he, it was over in the second quarter. I was out in the woods with some boys, and I, I was actually picking up that game. I was like, this one's over. <laughs> Seriously. Grambling, hey. they could poor Grambling. I saw on the chat line, I saw a bunch of tweets say, poor Grambling. And then oh, man, I ain't. The memes and emojis that went with that. That's, that's, I ain't feeling sorry for Hold on, man. That's why everybody, that's why that, that, this explains why we were holding on to our schedule. We trying to schedule Grambling for homecoming next year. Because <laughs> UAPB ain't it no more. UAPB is now the West Champs. Yes, sir. So yeah. don't, don't, you don't want UAPB for homecoming. You want Grambling. That's the new, yep. that, that's the, that's the new rule. 
<laughs> Thanks for mentioning that, Al. PB is the is the West champion. Uh, Grambling is now at the bottom of the league. But don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable with Grambling. Y'all know Grambling is going to be like like Dion said about Jackson State. You better get them this year. Grambling is not going to stay down. They're going to find them a quarterback. Yeah. I'm that's just saying they always find a way. I, I, the rest is going to be wild. That transfer portal is too active for any team to stay down. Mm-hmm. And the Wild West, man, we got to start calling it the Wild West. With all corn coming over, the West is going to be deep top to bottom. So I'm, I'm excited for Swag Sports. All right, let's let's hit this Magic, Magic City Classic. Man, glass is the truth. Real Full deal. stop. Deal. Yeah, you talk about is. the West. The East is going to be off the chain, too. <laughs> because remember, glass, Alabama and m uh, Akil Glass, quarterback. He's a senior, but he'll be back He's in the senior. fall. Um, Alabama State, freshman quarterback. He got hurt in the first quarter, so he didn't get to show what he could do. That was going to be a great QB matchup. He got yeah. hurt. They bought in the backup, so Alabama A&M kind of ran away with it. But both of those QBs will be back in the fall. The East is going. We're going to have to come up. We got the Wild Wild West. We're going to have to come up with a name for the East because – you gonna have Alabama and M, Alabama State. You got Fam U. You got Bethune Cookman. Yes, yeah, man. Like football gonna be swag football, baby. <laughs> Bruh, we need a TV package. I'll pay. Just get it out there, man. I'm telling you, Doctor McClellan, if you're listening, put it out there, bro. I I'll pay for that before I pay for an NFL ticket. What, yeah, what man. They call it, what Uh-oh. they call it, Eric, Eric Coriel? I don't know what these bulldogs. These some flying bulldogs, man. Because that receiving core plus Brian Jenkins. I'm flying, flying bulldogs. I mean, that receiving core alone at 300 yards in the air. Seriously. Hold on, but did you see in the fourth? You see in the fourth quarter when Glass took off out the backfield, and I think it was number six for Alabama State. He trucked him. Yeah. I'm like that kid is not gonna have a good day at film on Monday, because yeah. if the quarterback trucks you like that, I mean, trucked him and, and rolled over him. That glass is a grown man. That that's just a grown man. So so at this point, you are we happy that the the game against Alabama and them got canceled? Shh, man, Heck I don't think we yes. want that smoke, man. I don't want that. I don't want that smoke. <laughs> I ain't gonna do that. Just look that bad on national television. <laughs> no sir. <laughs> no sir. That'd all right, bad. but all right, real quick, uh, like you you know you brought up Mike the transfer portal. Your boy Jalen Jones, who came from yep. Florida, didn't take a snap in Florida, transferred to Jackson State, played in four games this spring, is now leaving Jackson State. Yeah. Oh, wow. He'll be at Grambling next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we talk about a whole me. lot of financial aid coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he will be lacing it up for, 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 for Grambling. <laughs> Real quick. Real soon. Oh, God. All right, we'll see. Well, I guess, you know, he saw the writing on the wall with uh, with uh, Deion's son right behind him uh, playing quarterback. So when he got benched against in that last game, he's like, yeah, man, I better go on and make it. Yeah, he, he got benched in favor of a freshman, and he had Shadur Sanders sitting on a bench waiting for yeah. the fall. So he had to go. Uh, like you said, that transfer portal going to be hot. I hope it benefits the SWAT and doesn't hurt us. All right, good stuff. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Meet Me at the Flagpoles. And we are back for Meet Me at the Flagpoles. 
All right, we got Dr. Ayanna Brown and Dr. Sharonda Henderson with us this week. Welcome to the show. Doctors, how y'all doing? Good, thank you. Thank you for having us. Hello, good, hi. Good. <laughs> so, we got two doctors coming out of Prairie View. So, tell us about your experience uh, at Prairie View. Were you bio majors, or did you did you take a different route? And was Doctor Brown all up in your mix too? <laughs> <laughs> you want to go first? I go first. <laughs> So, um, yeah, Dr. Brown was up in the mix. Um, I was a biology major, uh, hailed from Dallas. Um, knew I wanted to go to Prairie View since probably fifth grade, fifth, sixth grade. My parents would take me to the uh, state for a classic every year, and I knew I wanted to be in the band. So that was my biggest driver going to Prairie View, and I never knew where Prairie View was. I just knew it was in Texas. And so um, when I applied, Dr. Brown sent me a letter stating that um, I was going to be uh, in the pre-medical concepts, so PCI that mm -hmm. summer. Yeah. Yes. Got a scholarship, and yeah, that's where I met Mo and Roland and all the ECI folks that summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> PCI, ECI. Yes, right, right. Best summer ever. Yeah, yes, best, summer ever. <laughs> best summer ever, best decision ever. Um, so, yeah, that's how I ended up down there. All right. What about you, uh, Dr. Brown? Well, I guess my answer is a little bit different. Um, I went to Cypress Creek, which is right down the street, down 290. Oh, really oh you went to Cypress Creek? I'm sorry. Jer Jerseyville, I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> See, look at Mike. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to sit up for a second. I'm sorry. Uh, um, and so I had pretty much had a scholarship to Prairie View, had a scholarship to Howard. I wanted to go to Howard. My mama said, you ain't going to Howard. So I ended up at Prairie View, honestly, but at the end, you know, I have to say mom knew best on that one. But um, I went there on a nursing scholarship. And on my first semester, I ended up taking um, biology and um, anatomy and physiology, got an A in it. And Dr. Brown, at that point, I guess I caught his eye. He took me under his wings, like, um, you know, asked you know, ask me about myself. And I told him, he pretty much, well, you know, you, you're not going to be a nurse. You, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to go to med school. And I remember that day. She I got the voice down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I called my mom. I'm like, Mom, guess what? Dr. Brown is I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. So that's how I ended up um, deciding, you know, about medicine. I, I really didn't have that one direct goal to either to for PV or medicine. But at the end, it um it ended up working out in my, in my favor. So, you know, that is just such it's very interesting to hear your the two similarities in that common denominator of having that one professor that mm -hmm. believed in both of you that pushed you in that direction and for many of us i know for me an engineer there's nowhere else on the planet where i would have been an engineer but prairie view that's the only place i believe that i would have my story is even possible so that is to me the the beautiful thing about the hbcu experience is you have those folks who are vested in you and now look at you both of you are, are successful doctors and we here talking about this and i understand you guys have a, a, another project going on in prairie view yep well um i guess you're talking about the legacy mm -hmm. the legacy what we're working on. Um, Sharon and I, we purchased a piece of land not too far from, from the campus, really just um, right behind the stadium. Um, and so we plan on doing some um, student housing, uh, multifamily housing, really more so student housing. And we've been working with um, Troy Taylor, um, Troy 
or what is it, um, Taylor Construction Management, um, referred by Roland, who, who is also very helpful in this whole process. So thank you, Roland. He's at, we don't give him his props enough, but he was very helpful yeah. with this. And, um, I was to so, the left of you, boy. All the way around you. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's a work in process, uh, in, in progress. Uh, and we're at the stage to where we're hoping to uh, break ground this summer to have some housing up our first phase up, hopefully by January. That's awesome. That's our awesome. see. That's giving back to the community and and leveraging your resources. That's what it's. That's what we learned at PV. So, uh, Doctor Henderson, uh, if you notice somebody else on this call, I was wondering if you were going to be triggered by seeing your drum former drum major, Shanetta <laughs> Haskell, on here. She was like, "Hold on." Uh, <laughs> well, am I need to be at attention? Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, Shanetta. You know, you know, it's so funny though, and how are you, Dr. Henderson? I have Hi, hi. Hey. Oh, I can't minutes. call you the, uh, I need to remember Shanetta. You yeah. know, we used to they don't know me by boo. Exactly, okay. no. They don't know me by boo. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> exactly. Which I was always amazed at biology students because I, I, were you one of the ones, were you actually enrolled in marching band? Because I know he refused to allow students to actually enroll in marching band. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was enrolled um, and he did uh, try to discourage me from enrolling in the marching band uh, just because of the, you, we know all the time commitment that's required, you know, to, to march in the storm and the time commitment required to, you know, be a biology major and with the goal, ultimate goal of going to med school. And so um, I, was, I was like, no, this is what I, I'm going to do. And, you know, I had to make sure that I stayed on top of my grades you know, to show that I can do both of them at the same time. Uh, it was to his disgruntlement, though, you know, especially during the time when we were taking our um, MCATs or study. We were having studying sessions for the MCATs, and they were always at night, and I would miss many of them or go halfway, get through halfway, and I'm running over from band practice. I had my skates at the time, so I can make it back to the whole board. <laughs> So I had my skates with me and I put on my skates and rolled across that, that uh, street back to, to the study sessions and things like that. And he would always just give me a look like, mm -hmm, just kind of roll his eyes. But, you know, now he sees where we are and what we're doing, you know. And then other biology majors have come through, too. You know, Nathan Lott, who is another drum major, right? He's a pulmonologist at Baylor Scott and White in Waco, you know, nice. just... So um, we have uh, your sorrow too, rheumatologists uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Southwestern, you know, so, um, you know, all of we can we can do it. You know, I think I'm glad that those of us that had the love for music and for the band uh, let that overcome the, the potential uh, fear that he put in us. But we knew we can do it because we wanted to do both. And it was ultimately yeah. the best college experience ever. Yeah, I really wish all of us could get together. And even what you just said, Alan, because I just don't think people understand the talent at Purview. And when you hear comments like I wouldn't have made it anywhere else, that's not to say that HBCs or HBCUs are easy, right? Because that's 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 the, the misunderstanding. But I really wish that we could say, look, we have doctors. So with that, um, what advice would you give like the because like now they have this medical academy right which i think is which is amazing 
So what advice would you give those current students about either pre preparation, how to utilize, how to use PV at, it, at their advantage to get into either medical school, professional school? Yeah, I would say just, oh, go ahead, Ayanna. Well, I, for me and my own personal experience, um, I would say that making sure that you're really prepared for that MCAT is very that is a test that's totally unlike any other. And so um, it's good to hear that Sharonda had a study session for the MCAT. I don't know where I was. I didn't but um, so um, I think preparation for the MCAT, making sure that you seek out the advice um, of the uh, of the of the you know of the advisors who are there, um, making sure you stay on top of your grades. If you can do um, summer um, internships with different doctors to kind of get an idea of, of what you're going to be getting, you know, what your uh, you know just more exposure, so you have a better idea of what you're going to be um, getting into, so that when you're there for those interviews, you feel more confident, more comfortable with uh, representing yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will follow behind, like you were um, saying, uh, pull into the resources, you know, tap into those resources because there are so many physicians that have uh, graduated and now the medical school application process requires the students or applicants to have some sort of shadowing hours. And mm -hmm. so many times, you know, a lot of the other, um, I guess, cultures or communities, they have connections. Oh, my, my, my friend is a doctor or my dad, dad is a doctor. You know, they're, they're going to have these old pools of doctors. And so they're going to, you know, pull into those connections. But a lot of us may have no doctors in the family or we're the first doctors in the family. And so a lot of these kids that are coming through there that don't have those built-in connections pull from the resources that we have at Prairie View. And there is a pool of doctors that are all, you know, in connection together on Facebook. And I don't know if the concept of the, what do they call the medical institute? Undergraduate Medical Academy. Mm -hmm. Academy. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know if they're, they're aware, aware of that, but, um, you know, there, there are so many physicians out here who are open and willing to, to have these students shadow with us because that is part of their application process now. I think there's, go ahead. And done in smaller pockets. I know I and a couple of other, um, other doctors from back last year and met with the students, um, at the academy and just other people who were just interested in medical school and um, become a, a doctor, period. Then I got uh, another caller, really text from Ron London, who is a um, physician. He graduated with me. I'm not sure what state he's in, but um, he's basically, again, trying to round up different doctors um, to start pretty much going back um, every semester to work with these, uh, with the kids uh, to, you know, uh, for mentorship. So I think there's been smaller things done in small pockets, but it would, it would be really good if that project that he's working on really takes off to do us like Sean just says, be that, uh, that pool that they could pull from. Cause you know, we're, we're usually open. It's just, if you're, if you're, if it's not access to you, you don't always just think about it. A ton of doctors um, who would be more than um, ready and willing to, to get, get back in that capacity. Incredible. Well, I, um, I'm really happy that you ladies joined us. It's amazing to hear you all stories of your journey at Prairie View and how unique it is and where you are now. Um, I do want to ask you, how has COVID impacted your respective areas of medicine? 
Dr. Henderson, let's can start with you. So um, I'm a medical oncologist, so I treat patients with cancer, and these patients are often uh, immunocompromised and will potentially forever be immunocompromised depending upon their stage of disease. So um, it made a huge impact on us because, one, it was so unknown of what would be the potential risk and implications for these patients just from having the underlying comorbidities. And then once we get into it and learn a little bit more about it, um, and, and now to the vaccine, we have another, another hurdle. You know, we don't know exactly how well these people are responding to the vaccine, but we do recommend that they get the vaccine because weighing the risk versus benefit of the vaccine, you're probably going to have more benefit than, than risk from it. Um, I think just, you know, again, having the unknown, having the fear of everything uh, from the, the potential long-term effects from the vaccine and how it affects your cancer and ultimately ultimately mortality. Um, that was the, the biggest thing. And of course, the constant changes every day, you know, once when COVID hit, I remember it, it hit that Friday of, of spring break. And um, that Monday, you know, I'm, I'm going to work. I hadn't been to work all week that week prior to going to work. And they're telling us one day, don't wear a mask. The next day, do wear a mask. The next day, oh, we don't have enough masks. The next day, it was something every day, you know, and it was such a stressful, stressful period um, that, you know, that trying to stay on top of taking care of your patients, then trying to take care of my family, not knowing how I will affect my family coming home, bringing something home to them, you know, that it, it affects not only work, but life overall. So, Ultimately, I think we're still at a place where still there's so much unknown, but of, of course now we're le learning to live with it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Dr. Brown? Okay, so I am in, I'm a psychiatrist and therefore I'm in mental health. And as you know, you see the commercials um, where everyone is a lot more aware of the emotional and psychological effects that this pandemic has taken on people. And so um, my personal story was I, I have a private practice. I remember the day, March the 12th. I was about seven months pregnant and they had just started talking about, you know, wearing the mask and, you know, if you have a call for, if you have these symptoms, you know, um, you know, leave the message at the front door, don't come in. I have the message at the front door, don't come in. I had a lady come in um, and she basically starts telling me how she has every single symptom of COVID. And she had gone to her primary care doctor and how she was so offended that the doctor was wearing a mask with her. And, you know, uh, I was like, lady, do you not know that you possibly have this virus and that she was afraid of, you know, herself? Needless to say, later that day, I shut off down, closed it, and I've been telemedicine ever since that, you know, because I couldn't take that risk of um, what somebody else was going to do. And so, uh, whether, you know, to myself, to my staff members, and just other patients coming in. But um, so the pandemic has taken a huge toll on um, my patient population, even my patients who were stable before ADHD, just regular. They're coming in with heightened anxiety, symptoms of depression. This, these are the children all the way up to the geriatric population. The children are suffering from lack of socialization, 
um, you know, being kind of just isolated in the house, um, even more exposure to social media, not knowing what to do with themselves. Um, and I think it's, it's huge because whether COVID, the pandemic has affected you directly, you know, it, it, or indirectly, it's not just the people who have gotten COVID or the people whose family members have gotten COVID. It's just the, the way that your life has changed because of the pandemic, you know, people being laid off, um, the ones not laid off, you know, their coworkers are laid off. So now they have a lot more work stress or family members sick. So I could go on and on, you know, with the mental health thing. But one thing I can say that is good is that I do, I am seeing more of the, um, black and minority populations coming in for mental health um, services to where they see that it's not as, um, they feel like it's as taboo. So I think that's a good thing. Um, and uh, in addition to that, it's not just pandemic, it's political woes, it's the Black Lives Matter, it's the social, you know, injustice that's just heightened everybody. So um, everyone's just on edge. Everyone's on edge and stressed out right now. And even when they say, I don't know what's wrong with me, when we start digging, it's just it's that background noise of that stuff that's going on just in America today that has everyone really just overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I, I think that's so true because uh, <laughs> I, I'm ready to make an appointment because I have been just, I went to my primary care for my physical and, you know, my wife told me on my way in, she was like, make sure you ask her about your ADHD. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you cannot sit still now. Like if I'm on a meeting for Zoom, I, I'll pay attention for five minutes. Next thing you know, I'm on my phone, I'm doing something else. She was like, you cannot sit still. So she, my wife is going to send me to go get an appointment, I'm sure. But I'm like, I don't want to take no medicine. <laughs> so so before you before we go off of Dr. Brown, I do have one question. So for, for, for those of us with, with kids at home, right, um, and not quite sure how the epidemic or this pandemic has um, has affected them, are there any signs or anything? I know you, you deal mostly with um, children and, and, and adolescents. Are there any certain signs that we should be looking for as parents in terms of when it's, it's a good time to take them in to come talk to someone like you, a brownstone psychiatrist? Um, but no, are there anything that we need to look for? What I mean, the isolation, because I have noticed my daughter, she will stay in her room all day. We have to force her out of the room. So any any key indicators? Yeah, I tell parents that you know your children better than anybody, right? So you really want to look for changes in their behavior that are not in your mind like positive. So if you have a teenager who is um, typically in their room a lot and they're still in their room, it may not be necessarily a bad uh, a sign of depression or any problem unless it goes with other things, you know, like they, ne- like they never want to come. They're not wanting to hang out with their friends either. They're showing signs of irritability, agitation. For for kids, their grades is a huge indicator of their overall functioning. You know, if you start seeing changes in their sleep habits, they're, you know, not wanting to just engage anymore. You know, um, younger kids, it may be a little bit more difficult sometimes to tell. I get a lot of parents coming in um, thinking their child is just um, either ADHD or acting out, you know, oppositional defiant, when in actuality, some of them may have more anxiety issues or depression issues, and they kind of, they play theirs out, they act it out, you know? And so you look at your your own child's behavior, and if you see something different, you know, and I tell them just talk to them, 
you know, ask your child how they're doing, you know, make more time, for, you know, family time, play time, take them out one on one. You know, I think it's, we're at a time to where, you know, we can get out a bit more safely, get some fresh air, tell them to go play, you know, things like that, like the basic thing first. And if you don't, if you still have questions, of course, myself at Brownstone Psychiatry or uh, a lot of my other colleagues, you know, you know, that's what I do. So they can. <laughs> no, thank you. I appreciate that. I like that's some free, uh, free, free help. <laughs> okay, a couple, couple of little subtle nugget drops. Roland, we gonna need you to cash out that copay. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, we we sure appreciate both of you joining us, and we're really excited for uh, the the housing project that you have going on in Prairie View. It looks like Prairie View is going to be the new suburb of Houston before too long. So I think your timing is perfect with this and uh, we want to keep track of it. So as this progress, uh, as this project progresses, we'd like you to keep us updated if you could. And uh, we, we want to make sure we support because I got two kids at PV and uh, you know, uh, I think Joe's daughter is at PV, so we, you know we need to support. So uh, keep us keep us posted, and thank you for joining the show. And uh, again, open invitation anytime you want to come back and chat. Thank you. All right, and we'll be thank right you, back with the We Ready shoutouts. And welcome back. We ready shout outs. Shanetta, you got one? I do on the men's baseball side. Prairie View AM freshman hurler Victor Mendoza was named SWAC Pitcher of the Week following right. the best outing of his Panthers career. All right. Nice to hear some baseball news. What about you, Mike? You got one? Yeah, on the on the uh tennis side, men's and women's tennis, postseason honors on the men's side, junior. Jorge Caballero, uh, sophomore Victoria Castillo, and then freshman Ruhu Juan earned all SWAC accolades as well. So don't get me on the R's. My Estania is only going five years. So uh, I am from San Antonio, but in all seriousness, congratulations to the Panthers. <laughs> Hey, congratulations to Mike on the pronunciations there, buddy. I'd have to give you a applaud there. <laughs> the tennis team is ready. I see y'all laughing. <laughs> Whatever. Y'all know Mike was struggling on the pronunciations, y'all. So All right, Shanelle, you got to take us out. All right, are you ready? All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. PV. You know. All right, who, who Paul? We got That's Joe. Mind. That's Just Joe. Joe, Joe, Joe you got a latency. You got a latency with your mic or something, man. It's like a half a second delay. <laughs> it was better. It was better. All right, we out. All right, all right. All right. <laughs>